Christmas and welcome to the podcast Bench Talk. I'm Jo Hilditch, High Sheriff of Herefordshire, and today I'm talking to Sarah Brown, the new Dean of Hereford Cathedral. Sarah's had an interesting life and came to the church late in the day. A lady after my own heart who has a particular interest around mental health, particularly in agriculture, which is an isolating industry, as many of us farmers know only too well. She's not from these parts, but she's already making her mark around Hereford City and Diocese and has plans for the cathedral and for the future. And even though she's only been here a short time, she still has ideas for top tips in Herefordshire tourism. Today's bench talk comes from a bench in our beautiful cathedral. So this is your first Christmas in Herefordshire. It is indeed. And um, there's very much part of me which is that the times were normal, so that this could be a really full-blooded cathedral church Christmas. Uh, as it is, we're slightly restricted still, as you will know. Uh, but what a place to celebrate Christmas, this cathedral. And Herefordshire? What brought you to Herefordshire? What brought me to Herefordshire was a slightly strange uh, thing. I would call it God, I suppose. Uh, A sort of sense of being called here. I haven't really had many connections here before. I've got in-laws who live over the border uh, in in Monmouth. Uh, But um, a couple of times in recent years, a sense of this place that I might belong in, that I didn't really know anything about. And uh, actually a near miss on on a job that nearly brought me here. I thought nothing of it uh, when it didn't come off. And then when I was asked to look at this, I could hear the place. Uh, And it became very apparent that the demands of the job really did match up, not just practically with the things that I know about, uh, but also with something intangible. Uh, in heart and mind and feeling about the place. So a proper calling? I think a proper calling, yeah. So what was the path that um, led you into the church or or what what were you doing before? Because I think you came quite late, as I said at the beginning. I came very late to the church. I wasn't brought up uh, in faith at all. In fact, slightly the reverse, if I'm honest. Um, I had a very cheerful, normal childhood, university time, didn't have any need of God, thought that people that that did God probably just needed a bit of an invisible friend, Um, was a blithely arrogant young person, Um, ran amok completely in my 20s and I would dare say even my late 20s. Uh, (laughs) Having been very well behaved as a teenager, um, uh, doing music and archaeology and and things that interested me then. Um, And I don't really know what happened, but I did go into self-destruct mode. I was probably very classic of my time in some respects. Well, we're the same age, so I was kind of London PR messing around oh, in That's wine right. bars. And well, so. I was marketing, I was advertising agencies, I was big hair and shoulder pads and lots of wine bars and high heels and full of myself. And I was also not unattractive, let's put it like that. <laughs> Um, and I, I knew it, and I used it <laughs> in far greater abundance than was strictly good, really. And the, the upshot of all that really was a trail of destruction. I didn't really realise it at the time, but I was wreaking havoc in my work life, 
in my family life. And it was a bit like, I, I was trying to think of a visual for this, um, it was a bit like in the Jungle Book, you know, when the tiger has a, a, a flaming brand tied to his tail um, running yes. through the jungle. And I think I was a bit like that, quite a dangerous beast actually, doing damage behind me wherever mm. I went and not really realising it. Mm. Um, and there came a point when I, I realised that I couldn't trust myself. My own judgement was so flawed that I was doing so much damage. It was a real self-destruct time. So what, so what happened then? There, there must have been a moment that led you to your original calling. There were quite a lot of moments. Uh, one of them was an awareness. Um, my husband was very decent through all of this, I have was to say. He? Yeah, he was remarkably <laughs> decent through all of this. Um, and there was an awareness. That we Things settled down and, and I became pregnant with our first child. And I went along to what I rather rudely called bobbing hippos, which was antenatal, <laughs> uh, prenatal swimming, you know, relaxation classes in the swimming pool. And I remember for the first time ever really consciously breathing out I would call it now evil, but actually uh, harmfulness. Um, and breathing in, I didn't know what it was, but good. It was a really dualistic way of looking at things, but a consciousness that I couldn't was not in control in my own strength, which for somebody of the 80s in the career position that we've just discussed was quite a big thing to come to terms with. Um, and then we went along to the village Christmas, Christmas carol service uh, and again no religious affiliation really but it was the village church and it's what you did and I remember um, sitting there thinking hmm I'm going to have a baby I wonder if that I wonder if I ought to go to church I don't know why I thought that really because that hadn't happened when I was uh, a baby so well you've been in church when you got married did you uh, or we not did get married in church yes that was I think family pressure as much as anything else from not my mother's side but from my in-laws um, but I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I suppose I could sing in the choir, because I used to sing. And then I thought, no, they'd never have someone like me, because I, I had been quite quite awful, really. Um, <laughs> and um, at the end of the carol service, a small woman with ginger hair, who I didn't know at all, sort of came through the crowds of people eating mince pies and drinking mulled wine. And she used my pre-married name, and she said, I think you must be Sarah Calverley. And she said, I think that I have a friend who is also a friend of your mother's, and she tells me that you're musical. And I wondered if you'd like to join the choir. So there was that sort of sense of having been called by name straight away. So quite soon after Christmas, I went along and joined the choir. And I was the youngest by about 150 years, I reckon. Like probably. many of our like, clients, unfortunately. <laughs> absolutely. So they put me at the front. Yes. Um, and I still had my looks. And you're you know, quite pretty. Still, still quite pretty, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, you still are. Sorry, that you, was very rude. Knew nothing, <laughs> knew nothing about God at all. You know, what I knew about God, you, you could have written twice on a postage stamp, really. Um, and sat through a first service, which was all about people being redeemed from past lives that were not good. And I didn't hear the redemption, I just heard about the bad bits. And I almost ran out of that church at the end of the service and I thought, I can't go back there, they can't have someone like me in there. 
And about two or three days later, the vicar, very wise man, came to call, just had a cup of tea, didn't mention the fact that I'd fled the church and that there was clearly a story there, and just made it really clear that he looked forward to seeing me um, the following Sunday. And so I kept going and the, the love of that little village church, I mean, I still didn't really get God at all, um, but those elderly ladies particularly who looked after me when the baby came along, it was the choir's baby, um, just the belonging started to fill a gap that I didn't even know was there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and I have never got over my gratitude, actually, to that little community who just... You know, I'm sure they pursed their lips and tutted. This was in Northamptonshire, oh, yeah. um, a place called Yelvertoft, and they were so kind. And was so there a kind. final moment where you got God? There was a, a very big final moment, but it was about three years later. Oh, the vicar had come to call, and I was still suffering from real guilt. You know, the things that I'd done to people were still coming home to roost. Um, and really, I would say that the guilt tainted everything that I did. Um, and I, if you haven't felt guilt, you might not recognise that at all, but it is, it's pernicious, really. And I remember the vicar came into my office, actually, to talk to me about something else. And the subject of fidelity came up, and I lost it. I completely burst into tears. And he said, "Ah, oh, I've been waiting three years for this story. Uh, would you like to tell me about it? Uh, upshot was, would you like to lose the guilt? And I said, well, of course I'd like to lose the guilt, it's dogging my every step. And he said, right, come up to the church tomorrow on your own um, and you write everything down that you have, um, that you want to, to, to give to God and tell God about and, and I'll hear your confession and, and you'll see what happens. And I agreed to this and went home and wrote everything down and then the following day was the most humiliating day of my life and I remember walking up the hill to that churchyard skulking there is no other word for it skulking under a yew tree watching him arrive and he went into the church and I was standing there thinking what on earth am I doing here this is ridiculous and then going into the church and there he was at the altar empty church just him fully robed at the altar and I sort of slunk up the aisle towards him and we stood at the altar and I read out my shameful list of what I'd done and the people I'd hurt and we read Psalm 51 and he gave me absolution and then he burnt the piece of paper on the altar with all the, the things on it. And all I can say is that as that paper went up in flames, I felt heat from my feet all the way up my body like, like hot whiskey. Um, and I just knew, although I really didn't know anything about God at all, I knew the forgiveness of God. And I'd just spoken words, and I will show sin as your ways. You know, cleanse me, and I will show sin as your ways. And I think that really set me on a path of understanding that God was real, and that for whatever reason, despite me being appalling, and I had been appalling, <laughs> with, with knobs on, seriously I love your honesty. Yeah. Um, um, that he loved me enough to forgive me, and that I actually had a potential oh, to go on sorry. and do something else. So sorry. that's how I got. So and then did you? Because I think you started in in agriculture, didn't you? Or, or your first one of your first roles was. 
Yes, while I was training um, and expecting to go off and be... I mean, this was years later, but uh, much water under the bridge. But while I was training, um, a gentleman called Christopher Jones, uh, who was the founder of an organisation called Farm Crisis Network, knocked at my door and said, I wondered if you'd be interested in talking about taking my job when I retire. And I said, don't be silly, Christopher, I'm going to be a vicar. Um, and he said, just, just lean on the door and push on it and we'll see. Anyway, the upshot was I did become uh, the chair, not the chair, the chief exec, effectively, of this national farming crisis, farming network, crisis network. Which is network. a fantastic organisation. Extraordinary. Yeah. Um, volunteers walking with the farming community, founded in the, in the, in the wake, really, of foot and mouth, um, dealing with depressions and suicides and loneliness and family crises and all the things that actually are still still present in the farming community today because of the way the world has gone. And of course Herefordshire is an extremely, as I've said earlier, agricultural farming yes. community and I'm sure we need FCN and any other kind of agricultural uh, mental health charity. In fact, at the time, um, there was something called Herefordshire Rural Support Network. I think that's what it was called. Now, Borderlands Chaplaincy has has, yeah. has 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 taken that on, and I gather there are other other um, initiatives out there and much needed. So that was before you did your training? It was during. Mm. In fact, it, it came to me during the training, uh, year two, when I was just looking for a curacy, yeah. and this came along instead. So and then I, just briefly, what were your, um, your other positions before you came here? Uh, then I had parishes after FCM, yeah. uh, rural parishes, yeah. and uh, then uh, also some county town work, yeah. um, and then Peterborough Cathedral as canon missioner. Again, one of those kicking and screaming moments yeah. uh, where I was asked to go there, and I said to the bishop, but I'm not a cathedral person, and he said, that's why I want you there, and three and a half years later, here I am. Yes, um, and forgive my naivety, but perhaps you could tell me what exactly... Well, maybe you don't quite know yet, but what is a dean? Oh, what is I'm the still working that dean? out. I'm still, I can give you the sort of technical spec. Um, <laughs> what the realities are, I'm not quite sure. Basically, it's the senior clergy person at the cathedral, um, which it, it, it's, you've got all the things that a priest would normally do, but you're working in tandem with a community that is working at the cathedral. You, there is also a very large tourism business element to it. So... Um, within the cathedral itself, it's a big job, but it also has a role within the diocese. I'm a senior member of clergy. Uh, and so is it executive as well? It's executive and, as yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So it's um, not just leading the worship, it's no. leading the bigger community yeah. and all the organisation and everything else. All the volunteers, all, there's an awful lot. Yeah, I was lot. going to ask about the volunteers. So is there, there's a huge volunteering community around, well, I guess you're partly volunteering, but and a much bigger community. Uh, I mean... I don't know what the pre-COVID numbers were. I think somewhere in the region of 400. Um, we have many of those back already and we're hoping for the rest. But this place could not exist without the, 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 the incredible gift of people's time and money, but particularly their time. We can't do tours without volunteers. Our worship is, you know, where there are professionals in the place, but actually it's predicated on there being volunteers to, to do very many things. Um, how many do you think there are? I, I think we still have over 300 volunteers wow. um, and Gosh. always looking for more. But you're not organising their rota as well, are you? I'm not, no. Oh, thank we, 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 <laughs> we, we have a I'm staff. Sure you could yeah. do it. <laughs> no, I'm not sure I could do it, actually. Um, no, I mean... And I are you always looking for more? 
always looking for more. There are so many areas that are of interest in a place like this, mm. whether you're a person of faith or not. Um, we have got an amazing gang of volunteer gardeners, we've got guides, we've got stewards, we've got welcome, all, all kinds of people, uh, broderers if you're a seamstress you, you know, who do the, the, the vestments and embroidery, there's all kinds of things. And, and have you seen gaps in the broader community of Hereford or Herefordshire? Is there anything you think that I could help with or do in the next six months of my High Sheriff tenure? My observation of you thus far is that you're actually doing a phenomenal job because what I think you do, and if I've got this wrong, forgive me, but actually you highlight the work that people are doing in the community. And that's a real inspiration for others, I think. So I think keep doing that. That would be you know, my, my perspective. Um, I suppose if there are gaps, it's the same gaps that we're seeing all over the country in the wake of, of a major transition period for the country uh, with COVID. And that is, you know, actually, we do need volunteers to step up and hold communities together. The mental health um, you know, provision is very stretched. So many of the things we used to take for granted mm. are so stretched and we're going to have to volunteer to fill those spaces, I think. Yes, because I was going to say, COVID's been such a tricky time for the church and it's rightly come under some criticism for shutting its doors precisely at the time when we all needed uplifting spiritually. Yeah. Uh, really tricky times. My last bishop uh, at Peterborough, I told him I wanted to take a blue and white stripy tent out into the cathedral square uh, and be there, <laughs> even though we couldn't shut the door. And he said, if you get arrested, I shall be deeply embarrassed. <laughs> so it wasn't quite as straightforward as people think. Um, and it was, I think, the first time in something like 500 years that the church doors had had to be shut. There were a variety of factors in play nationally, not least the way other faiths worship, which were much more cl closely packed uh, than the typical church, and you couldn't... So it was more a broad church was, dictat. It was quite a broad... Uh, it was absolutely a broad church dictat. However, what I would say is that in lots of communities, churches became more relevant to the community than they had been for a very long time because we learned how to look outwards. So there were lots of churches doing lots of things with delivering food, ma making sure that people were okay, phoning round, um, online offerings. You know, we all suddenly had to learn how to be broadcasters yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and be creative about things. And, and in many ways, we've touched more people and different people. Um, we weren't great at being there for congregations. Um, but that wasn't entirely a local decision. No, there was no, a lot of national stuff in play there. Central. Yeah, but I, I, I do think that once COVID took everybody by by surprise, mm. and none of us. I remember the very first Mothering Sunday. It was Mothering Sunday. It was yeah. the first service we had where we couldn't let anyone in. And you know, where where are the children? Where are the posies? How do you do Mothering? Yeah. None of us had a clue. And actually, the fact that within a week we were all putting things out online. Um, speaks incredibly for the flexibility of church, which mm. is not something I would have thought it was It was just a shame that you just couldn't wander into a church for those moments of contemplation that we all want. However, yeah. you know, whether you're, you have great faith or not, it's, they're just such wonderful places. I agree. And the very worst of it was Easter, I think. Mm. Um, and I was very, very bad um, on Easter Sunday because the church had been, the cathedral had been locked at Peterborough, as here, as everywhere. Mm. Um, and 
I let myself in and sat in the dark and sang a hymn at the altar because I couldn't bear that there was an Easter that had been unmarked in the building. Um, And I'm sure I wasn't the only one. But it is about time that Hereford Cathedral came and put the pews back in, isn't it? I have good news. The pews pews are coming back uh, very early January. Balfour Beatty have been incredible, uh, have stored them for us um, very kindly and generously. They're coming back, I think, probably the first week in January. The slightly tricky bit is that we know that a good number of the regular congregation are still quite nervous about Mm. being sat close together. Uh, So we're going to have to find ways of letting people be kind to each other, Mm -hmm. actually, and and make their own choices. Mm -hmm. But the pews will be back. I mean, I guess in previous plagues, there have been other problems with churches. I mean, that's, you know, when we say the church wasn't there, if you think about something like the Black Death, the church crumbled because all the leadership all the clergy all the monks and nuns died because they were out there tending to the sick there wasn't anyone left by the end of it so you know we have actually retained the the workforce but uh, so actually resurrecting it after that was was, must have been very hard must have been horrendous i think and i think accounted for some of the appallingness that that we then got in the church was already there but you know that actually you suddenly had people that weren't as educated in it that Mm -hmm. you know I, i think standards probably plummeted beyond even where they were. (laughs) Medieval church not renowned for its um, good behaviour. Do do you have plans for the cathedral? I mean, how do you see your congregation going forward? Kind of forget COVID, but in normal times. Um, There is so much here that is is stunning. Actually, what I'd like to see is us sharing it a bit more. Um, One of the things that actually concerns me quite a lot, uh, delightful though they all are, is that most of our congregation are more than middle-aged, let's put it like that. We don't have an abundance of children and families. And, you know, I kind of, the cynical part of me looks and says, in 15 years' time, if we don't look too... Um, this place is going to be in trouble, mm. along with many, many parish churches. We've got some work to do to share the faith with the younger generation. And so one of my priorities is going to be working with children and families and making cathedral for them. But what about children in the cathedral? It's a very serious place and you know some of the things that they might say are perhaps not quite... I think children are very, very funny, uh, and I think children's straightforwardness can be such a tonic to adults. So I had a little girl, let's give you an example, Easter Sunday in, a, in one of my parishes, and you know, you, you, as the vicar, you take the children to the Easter garden, and you walk them there on Easter Sunday morning. You know, Jesus has been crucified, he's been put in the tomb, let's go and, let's go and look at the tomb, and you go and the tomb's open, and where is he? He's not there, where is he? And little Hattie, who was three at the time, looked at me and said very loudly, a giant turtle came and took him away. At which point I completely lost control of the congregation. <laughs> sort of not the other. And then she looked at me like, what are you going to do with that then, Vicar? <laughs> uh, not the resurrection story we were all hoping for, I think. Um, but no, children... You know, we they bring joy. They bring joy. Yeah. They do. I they want children joy. in this cathedral. If you have children and you've wondered if you're allowed, you are allowed. We'll find a way to make you feel at home. Do you believe in ghosts? I mean, apart from the Holy Ghost. The Holy obviously. Ghost is clearly quite important. Um, if we profess faith in a supernatural God, 
uh, then it would be a bit daft to say we don't believe in the supernatural. Uh, so yes, I do believe in ghosts. I'm suspicious actually that my house uh, oh, really? resides in my house. My cats are terrified of something. Um, and I don't think it's my husband, but I'm pretty sure it's not my husband. <laughs> they must um, know your husband They, quite they well know him by now. He feeds them, I forget. Um, so, yes, I do. Um, what's, uh, and actually, nowhere in the Bible does it say that they're not to be believed in. You know, it just says, don't consult them. So, actually, this stuff is, I think, in my opinion, it's real. It can be dangerous if you start meddling with it. So the church has always been quite strong on don't touch it. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm. It means it's potentially more dangerous than than we think. And God is, we profess a God who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and has power over all those things. So giving the power to those things is not smart. That's generally the position. But yeah, absolutely, I believe in ghosts. What do you think about you know your your you wear a dog collar most of the time? What do you, what do you think that how do you think that affects people? I think people are very mixed. Um, for some, it's a sign of apparent authority, which um, they just don't buy anymore. And, and I can see why the church hasn't always owned, earned its right uh, to be respected. Um, for others, it has a strange effect. So there was one uh, occasion when I was travelling on a train uh, and I was in the quiet coach with a lot of very well-behaved elderly couples and one very drunk man... Um, who was a sort of skinheady. He'd got six cans of lager on the table in front of him and he was effing and jeffing uh, at the top of his sitting voice. on your table? He was diagonal to me across the aisle, but you know, we yeah. were clearly visible to each other. And I wasn't wearing a clerical collar at the time. I was just wearing a suit. And he was being so badly behaved. Um, you know, if people in this coach think I'm going to be quiet, they, you've got an effing, another think coming, you know, all of that, and all old ladies hissing down the corridor. And I thought, oh, I wonder. And I went into the toilet and I put on a clerical shirt. And the effect of that collar <laughs> on him was absolutely mesmerising, way beyond my wildest expectations. Um, he'd be talking on the phone to, to his friend very loudly in this quiet coach. And he said, I've got to go, I've got to go. Um, I've got to go, this woman got up and she went into the toilet and when she came out she turned into an effing priest <laughs> gotta go gotta go and he put the foot you know disconnected his call and then he was looking at me really anxiously across the aisle I don't know what he thought I was going to do to him so um, effective very effective but it got better it got better because having uh, told me he was going to I'll be fine I'll be I'll, be, I'll behave I'll be good so great and all the old ladies sort of <laughs> giggling um, a little bit later he gets up and he goes into the, to the toilet himself and then he appears at the end of the carriage and he's white in the face and shouts at me down the, down the corridor to everybody's agog, you know, as this is happening. He said, you didn't have to do that. You didn't effing have to do that. It's like, what, you what? Done? what had I done? He said, my effing phone's just gone down the effing toilet. <laughs> <laughs> what power? <laughs> What's power? But the fact that he thought, yes. I just, it, you know, it really does yes. make you yes. aware of what, what baggage people might be carrying, actually, and what you might be triggering in them. And for the record, I did nothing. <laughs> I, I was not responsible for that and I don't think God was either I think he dropped it um, but it was his perception and I get people you know quite regularly being of a certain shape and size and hairstyle you know people will sort of literally bump into me in the street and go good lord it's Dibley <laughs> <laughs> you just get used to it
Have you bought your, you've bought, you talked about your husband, but have you got children? You brought your family here? My family you? are here, my father is here, my mother is here, um, and my children, they're both um, working away, but coming, coming back. Come back for Christmas, or they're here for Christmas, are they? Yeah, uh, my son is here for Christmas, my daughter's doing panto in Horsham. Oh, really? Uh, So so she isn't here, but she'll be back later, so looking forward to that. Have you had some big challenges in your... Well, obviously, you talked about challenges earlier on, but, you know, are there challenges that are confronting you now? I think it wouldn't be life, would it? No, Um, we all have challenges. Yeah, I'm 56 years old. Um, You know, my mother has dementia... um, doesn't know any of us is not able really to move you know actually that's that's painful that's really hard it's particularly hard on my father who just wants his wife back and so the challenge is that any family with that kind of situation is she living with your dad no um she she's in a home now in hereford um because her care needs became beyond what we could manage at home in terms of either physically or in terms of money. And do dementia charities look after those with dementia well in Herefordshire? I haven't actually got experience of that. Um, My father's um, in a position, fortunately, where he's been able to fund her in home, Um, so we haven't drawn on that. Um, My experience is that it's patchy around the country, so I I haven't looked into it yet with Hereford, but it is one of the areas I'd like to involve the cathedral in, because I feel quite strongly about it myself. So challenges, yes, and grown-up children, you know, Mm -hmm. all the things that everybody else has. uh, The fear with a job like mine is that you don't pay enough attention as a mother, and that I always worry about that. You're so busy, aren't you? I mean, who or what do you think we should be thinking about most over this Christmas, 2021? The list could be so long, couldn't it? But I think my greatest sense is, for, um, my heart goes out to those for who, for whatever reason, find Christmas really difficult, whether it's because they simply can't afford it or because it just brings back dreadful memories or loss or they think it might be their last or you know whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and the rest of the world goes a bit mad and we do this jolly family thing and we cover everything with tinsel and it's lovely and the adverts imply that if you're not in that you're kind of out of it and I think there are many many more people Mm -hmm. who find it a really struggly time of year and actually that's what Christmas is about you know Christmas wasn't ever about starlight and candles and trees. It was always about a world in pain and a messy, brutal, violent, sad place that God came to try and do something about. That's why he came. And for those who really do struggle with Christmas, um, that's, that's what it's about, mm. actually. It's about bringing, bringing, some, bringing light. some light, bringing some good news, not just some light, blinding light into a world that can be very dark and very sad. Mm. And lonely. And lonely. Isolating. Well, just to move on and to do the final question that I ask all my podcastees is about Herefordshire tourism. I mean, obviously the cathedral, you couldn't go without saying, was Clearly one of the not. top places. But do you have some top tips for Herefordshire tourism? I think top tips I'm not sure about. Um, I mean, top three places would be cathedral, cathedral and cathedral, obviously. yeah. Um, What I have found, I've only been here a couple of months, so I haven't really explored uh, 
tourism, but I would say food is absolutely stupendous here um, in, in all sorts of ways. The natural local food and drink, of course, how could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, there's something very friendly and open about the people of this county. Um, and I don't just mean in churches where I would expect to find people open and to me, um, you know, you walk into a shop and people talk to you. Uh, I've kind of forgotten what that's like. So I think that's such a beautiful thing. And the sheer stunning beauty of this county. Actually, you've only got to drive a couple of minutes out and you're in the middle of the sort of landscape that, you know, people write books about. Is, uh, Don't tell everyone it's a No, secret. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is local, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, no, of course, but, we yeah. want to bring people to Herefordshire. Within reason. And, uh, within reason and discover the beauty that we have. Yeah. We are so lucky. It's a tricky thing. It's the same issue we've got with the cathedral, actually. You want to share this amazing, beautiful thing, but you want to do it in a way that doesn't spoil it. Mm. Uh, as well and that's that's going to be the it's challenge tourism wise it's always about balance isn't it yeah thank you sarah for this illuminating chat today hereford is definitely lucky to have you and we all look forward to working with you over the coming years at our beautiful cathedral looking around us right here it's a fabulous place of peace and worship and an uplifting place from which to wish everyone a very happy christmas Indeed, a very happy Christmas. If you are one of those who are struggling this Christmas, God's blessing on you. If you are not, God's blessing on you too. Thank you.